0: the church into this space, say it every week, and I'll keep saying it as long as I keep preaching. Whether you're joining us uh, in person this morning or uh, via the digital platform as we are uh, live streaming this first of two services that we're currently running each and every Sunday. If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church, the guy who gets to preach most Sundays, excited to do that this morning. As we venture into this new year together, a season uh, in which I would imagine that uh, many of us perhaps find ourselves establishing some resolutions. It's kind of the language this time of year, perhaps uh, recommitting ourselves to old resolutions unrealized maybe, to stick to the diet this time, this go around, to be more others-minded, to manage stress a little better than last year, which shouldn't be too hard for many of us, just a little bump up from 2020 um, the the word resolution, by definition, you go to Webster's dictionary, you'll find it means a firm decision to do or not to do something. Very simply put, to be resolute is to be uh, admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. Uh, it, it's something that we we actually see in this morning's passage, believe it or not, in God's providence as we venture into this new year, but perhaps not in the way that that we might expect to see it. And so with that said, I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 2. We're gonna be in verses 21 through 38 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. I'll have this morning's passage up on the screen behind me as we work our way through it. As you're turning there, let me just go ahead and, and float an impromptu announcement to you all. Um, we We are looking to uh, host a partnership course at some point this month. Um, that's our that's our aim, that's our goal. Um, I'm actually going to sometime tomorrow send out a survey to those who have expressed interest up front in the partnership course to try to establish something on the calendar. And then once we get it on a calendar, then we'll make that, uh, known to everybody in the church, so if you want to speak into when we actually calendar that um if you can shoot me an email sometime before the end of this day uh mid- deadline of midnight January third, let me know that you're interested in that course, and I'll add you to that recipient list for that survey to try to put something on on a calendar and and have you speak into that so that we can um get as much participation as possible with that let me let me go ahead and pray for us because we've got a little bit more to cover this morning than has been the case in previous Sundays leading up to this moment in Luke's Gospel account. Heavenly Father, thank you for your unchanging nature, being for who you are, for what you have done for us in Christ, what you are doing for us in Christ, what you will do for us in Christ. I'm thankful that as we hit midnight, December 31st each year, that that we don't wake up to a different God you the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I pray that you would conform us into your glorious, beautiful image all the more this year as we venture into this new year. Would you do the greatest work that you've done in our lives this year, God, up to this point? As you continue to complete the good work that you began in us, as Paul says, Philippians 1.6, we're desperate for you. We are a needy people we come to you this morning bankrupt apart from you would you would you move in power through the preaching of your word this morning that we might walk away changed and that you might walk that we might walk away changed and that you might be glorified as a result of that in, in Jesus name I pray amen so as many of you know um, We spent the better part of the past month or so diving into this incredible story of Jesus's birth as told in the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel account, the the baby in a manger, light shining into darkness, all that imagery that we looked at throughout the month of December. As promised, we're going to continue right on into the narrative that follows as we work our way through the full story that Luke is out to tell, the story of a God whose zealous ambition is to seek and save the lost. The story of a messianic king having come to rescue the, the poor and downcast. A story that, that you and I get to step into the pages of in the months to come that, that we might have certainty. As I mentioned before in this series, in the words of one commentator, Luke's gospel account is the gospel of knowing for sure. Luke composed this writing that, that we might know, that we might have certainty, and not a certainty in, in our in and of ourselves, to be sure, which can only ever leave us doubting in the end, right? But rather a sure knowledge of Jesus Christ and the hope that's ours in him. Speaking of the the coming of the Messiah into the world, as we pick up the story, chapter two, verse 21, Luke tells us, and at the end of eight days when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, Give a little bit of context here. Since the days of the Passover, going all the way back to Israel's exodus from Egypt, God had established that that the life of any Jewish firstborn son belonged to him and was to be dedicated to him, an act of consecration uh, to the service of God. In Jesus's case, a set-apartness that would eventually and ultimately lead him to an old rugged cross. In addition to that, Act of child dedication, the the mother of the newborn child had to go through a a purification process of sorts, considered ceremonially unclean on the basis of the blood associated with childbirth. Part of that purification process involving the, the offering of both a lamb and a pigeon or a turtle dove, unless you were poor, in which case a concession was made, allowing the mother to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, so that what... What Luke's telling us here is that not only were Mary and Joseph pious, as evidenced by their adherence to the law of Moses, but they're also poor. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Not a baby wrapped in fine linens and lying in the king's palace. A baby in humble wrappings amidst the feeding troughs of Bethlehem. A declaration as Luke will continue to tell us over and over again throughout his gospel account, that God didn't come to save the self-sufficient, but rather the poor in spirit. Going back to the lyrics of Mary's song, the Magnificat, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Given the name Jesus, verse 21, the name that is above every name, as Paul will go on to say in Philippians 2.9, from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation as Matthew tells us in his gospel account, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I said this numerous times back in December leading up to Christmas, the tiny hands of this newborn baby destined to receive the nails of crucifixion that he might rescue spiritually bankrupt, empty-pocketed lost sinners like you and me. It's the story of the gospel from the cradle to the cross. Right around the time that, that all of this is happening, right around the time that the newborn Jesus is being brought to Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord, Luke tells us, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. right, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon, the details of his life are relatively unknown. We simply know that he was a, a righteous and devout man who waited expectantly for God to fulfill his promises in the coming of the Messiah. We also know that the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would see the promised Messiah before seeing death. If I can just put that into perspective for us this morning, imagine if God divinely revealed to you that you would with certainty, with certainty see the second coming of Christ before you tasted death. Every day, I would imagine, would be a day filled not only with anticipation and wonder, but also reverence and obedience, always and forever a blink away from seeing Jesus face to face. Luke goes on to say, For my eyes have seen your salvation. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. The hope for a world of lost sinners. For some of us this morning, that's it. That's what we most desperately need, to see the glory and grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The miracle of illumination. It's a must if if you and I are to depart this world in peace. Verse 29, In our case, seeing him with the eyes of faith as a worthy savior and king. That when you've seen Jesus for who he is, you can die happy like Simeon. You can die in peace. So I think one of the, the first and most critical questions this morning is have you seen Jesus by faith? Have you seen him crucified for your sins? Have you seen him risen for the hope of your salvation? When you look at Jesus, do you see salvation? Simeon bursts into a song of praise because, again, the gospel is and must be a musical. It's not enough to say what God has done in Christ. It must be sung. Simeon is now able to die in peace having cradled the prince of peace, having not only seen God's salvation, but having held God's salvation in his arms, Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. God's redemptive purpose is overcoming all opposing forces in the redemption of both Jew and Gentile. We see it in both the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 49, 6, God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel no, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Or as Paul so famously says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The one born king of the Jews has come to bring glory to Israel but it's a a work of redemption that that will overflow the banks of that river, so to speak, flooding the the nations with the revelation of God's glory and grace in Jesus Christ. It's a, a a story that Luke beautifully tells in his great sequel, the book of Acts. Some of you were around for that series. The story of Jesus building his church by his grace in the advancement of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Simeon stares into the face of Jesus Christ and he sees that salvation. He sees God's salvation. But not everyone would see God's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll see this too over and over again throughout Luke's gospel account. He goes on to tell us in verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled. Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon declares that yes, the light has come. All of that imagery that we talked about leading up to Christmas is true, but with that light, the exposing of darkness, that Jesus was and is the light switch that causes people to hide their eyes. When Jesus entered into human history, he exposed the evil thoughts of sinful man, the evil affections of sinful man, the evil actions and deeds of sinful man, which is why John would tell us in his gospel account, John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Christmas, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus, the the stone of stumbling, Peter tells us in in his New Testament writing, the stone of stumbling over whom many will fall. Or as Paul tells us in Romans 9, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. Simeon knows that that the baby resting in his arms in this morning's passage will face opposition, that, that some in Israel will fall on his account. In fact, It's Israel who would reject the Messiah opening the door for the gospel to go forth to the Gentiles, which would then open the door for the salvation of the Jews. Paul tells us all about that in his great letter to the church in Rome. That Jesus reveals the thoughts from many hearts, verse 35, as light exposes darkness. Which means that there's no position of neutrality when it comes to Jesus. He's the son who either melts the ice or hardens the clay. There is no in between, there is no third option. Jesus exposes our sinfulness and pride that we might come to a place of spiritual poverty and might see with the eyes of faith God's salvation in him. I think I mentioned this to to some of us within our church family last year at various points along the way that 2020 was something of a squeeze that when you squeeze a lemon, you're bound to get lemon juice because what's inside comes out when you put on the squeeze, and 2020 was a great squeeze for many of us, on the basis of which many things came out to play, for better or for worse. God put on the squeeze in 2020, I would argue on the basis of this morning's passage and really all of scripture that Jesus is the great squeeze of redemptive history, revealing what's truly in our hearts, bringing our innermost motives to light, bringing about the the fall of the proud and the, the rise of the humble and lowly in heart. That Jesus is for those who give up on themselves and see him as their great hope. It's the beauty of the gospel that I think we have to ask ourselves, what is my response to Jesus? Is it a pride that awaits its fall or is it a a humility that bows down, confesses sin and looks to him in faith? As a side note, we we shouldn't be surprised as Christians to see Christianity fail to get a seat at the table while other world religions get a, a charitable shake, so to speak. In the words of one commentator, the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of ends. That the Christian will know the joys of peacemaking and the sorrows of opposition just like their master and savior, simply for following him and proclaiming the salvation that's found in him. But but notice that the coming of Jesus. It doesn't just cause conflict among people, but also conflict within people. If we jumped over these words in parentheses quickly, we'd miss it, verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon's speaking to Mary there. What kind of of sword might it be that would pierce through Mary's own soul in, in light of the coming Messiah? Luke doesn't answer that question for us. He leaves it up to speculation. Maybe it was the sword of confusion. You see that in Mark chapter three, Jesus's family, including Mary, attempting to seize him, not fully understanding his ministry, even seeking to obstruct it at times. Maybe the the sword of grief as she looked up to the cross and beheld her dying son, the spear in his side, the sword in her soul. Questions filling her mind as to how this could truly be the path to glory, though the Lord had declared it to her from the very beginning. So that I would ask, is anyone coming to this place this morning filled with confusion as we embark upon a new year, perhaps wondering if God really knows what he's doing in the wake of unmet expectations? How about grief, the sword of sorrow perhaps piercing through your soul as we embark upon a new year? On the one hand, the, the redemptive story that Luke is out to tell, it, it's the story of a sword taken away, When Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden, God's garden sanctuary, we talked about this numerous times in the past, a cherubim was placed with a sword in hand to keep them out of the garden, their sin separating them from the very presence of the Lord. The gospel declares that, that there's a sword that none of us can remove, the flaming sword that stands between us and paradise, our sin separating us from the presence of a holy God And yet the gospel also declares the hope of a rescuer, Jesus, the Lord is salvation. The one who was destined to remove that flaming sword, the great dragon slayer, to use that garden imagery. It's Jesus who bearing our sins came under the flaming sword of God's judgment, opening the way back to paradise and ultimately a restored relationship with the living God. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We're right to sing that. On the one hand, this great story that Luke is out to tell, it's the story of a sword removed. On the other hand, it's the story of a sword piercing through our soul like Mary's, teaching us to trust God in the midst of unmet expectations, teaching us to look to him through the tear-filled eyes of, of grief and sorrow. We're told that, that Simeon was righteous and devout, verse 25, waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. Israel was a people in desperate need of comfort and consolation, having suffered greatly for centuries, kind of comfort that can only come in the coming of Jesus after 400 years of God having gone dark. Isaiah tells us, Chapter 49, verse 13, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and, I will, and will have compassion on his afflicted. Have you been pierced by the sword of unmet expectations like Israel all those years? Have you been pierced by the sword of grief and sorrow like Mary as she stood at the foot of the cross and beheld her dying son. This great story of redemption is the story not only of a God who reconciles, but but a God who consoles, a God big enough to handle our tears, a God who promises to someday wipe away sadness forever and overwhelm us with his comfort, his consolation for all eternity a day in which there will be no more unmet expectations, no more piercing swords of sorrow. It's a day to come for which we're meant to longingly wait. Not only like Simeon, as he wasn't the only eager one in Jerusalem that day. Luke goes on to tell us, as we close out this morning's passage, verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We know just as little about Anna as we do Simeon. What we do know is is that here we have another religiously devout Jewish person expressing gratitude for the coming Messiah and evangelizing all within earshot. Because, yes, many religiously devout Jewish people rejected Jesus, but Jesus came to redeem both Jew and Gentile. The earliest chapters of Luke's gospel account give us examples of faithful Jewish people hoping in the coming Messiah. Simeon was righteous and devout, verse 25. Anna worshiped with fasting and prayer, night and day, verse 37. Both filled with expectation and anticipation. You can just, you just picture, if you step into the story for a moment, you just picture Simeon showing up at the temple each and every day, looking into the eyes of any and all newborn babies, wondering if, if this is the day that God's promise will come true the promise of looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ. Coming back to to something I mentioned earlier, the word resolution by definition means a firm decision to do or or not to do something. To be resolute is to be admirably purposeful, determined and unwavering. We see it in this morning's passage, right? In both Simeon and Anna, determined and unwavering in their eager expectation that the Messiah would come. My prayer for us as a church, and this isn't a new prayer by any any means, but it's that we would be a people who eagerly await the coming of Jesus like Simeon and Anna. We would be resolute in that, an eager expectation, in our case, not of his first coming, but his second coming, the second advent. Awakening to each and every day with anticipation, with wonder, that today could be the day that we look into Jesus' eyes. That today could be the day that salvation holds us in his arms. Allowing those kind of dreams of what, of what could be to bring us to a place of deeper reverence, deeper obedience, evangelizing all within earshot, playing our part in the advancement of his good kingdom and church never giving up hope, trusting that he will return as promised, again, to wipe away sadness forever and overwhelm us with his comfort for all eternity. In a moment, we're gonna continue to worship this glorious savior and king, a rescuer who comes not only to reconcile but to console his people. So I invite you to bring both your joys and your sorrows to his feet, this morning, as we continue to worship him in song. He's worthy of our song. Again, the gospel is a musical. It must be sung. And so I invite you to sing together as we continue to gather in these moments to come. we also have an opportunity to receive communion. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. If you missed it on your way in, there are communion cups on the back table. You're welcome to go grab one of those at any time between now and the end of the service. Over these last couple songs, we're not gonna partake of communion together in a corporate sort of way, but rather we're gonna give space for the Holy Spirit to move and work in this room. And so whenever you're ready to partake of the the bread and the cup, the bread representing Jesus' broken body, the cup representing his shed blood, I just invite you to to stand amazed, to sit for a moment before you receive the elements and just consider the, the good news that not only have we been reconciled to the living God, Jesus having come under the flaming sword of God's judgment so that we don't have to, but we've also been brought into right standing with a God who wipes away tears. I would imagine we're gonna have some this year, just like every year before this one, and God will be with us every step of the way.